Hello, and welcome to On Point, a podcast by Oak Street Funding, where we bring research and data-backed insights to dig into the minds of industry leaders to learn how to stand out, navigate, and break through this ever-changing industry. I am your host, Bridget Height, and you can support this podcast by following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or our website, or really wherever you get your podcasts. We will be there hanging out, talking to industry leaders, and ready to empower you to grow your business. Now, let's get on point. Today, I am lucky enough to have Rick Denon, founder and CEO of Oak Street Funding. Rick started Oak Street Funding in 2003 and sold it to First Financial Bank in 2015 and now is not only CEO of Oak Street Funding, but is Chief Corporate Banking Officer at First Financial, where he oversees $12 billion in assets and nearly 400 employees. Rick, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. That's an incredible story from 2003 to now. So can you take us back to 2002 and tell me where your mind was at that time and how Oak Street funding got started? Sure. Um, I was actually working in a venture capital firm um, after spending about uh, 10 years in public accounting. And uh, there I spent a lot of time working with manufacturing companies, working with financial services companies. and while in the VC industry, kind of identified a need that uh, there was a huge void in lending to. Mm -hmm. And it was businesses that didn't have, you know, the tangible assets, you know, cars, manufacturing equipment, things like that. It was all just cash flow based. And banks love to be able to have that stuff so they can touch it, feel it, you know. But uh, these businesses had an incredible asset, a hidden asset was what we used to call it, of just a very consistent cash flow stream. Mm -hmm. Um, with future insurance commissions. So we went out and developed, uh, along with Milliman, uh, who are some of the top actuaries in the world, we developed actuarial models for every product carrier combination that existed. And what that allowed us to do was to really um, dissect a, an agent's book of business and project out truly what the cash flow uh, is and statistically those numbers as they played out, you know, with over a uh, hundred million data points at this point in time, they proved out to be very, very accurate. We've mm -hmm. been able to kind of take that philosophy and evolve that into other businesses and things like that okay. with some of the other uh, areas that we've endeavored into. So very cool. So you saw a need and you wrote a business plan to start your company. How did you decide on the name Oak Street Funding? That's a pretty easy one, <laughs> to be real honest with you. Uh, you know, when you're starting a company, uh, one of the most important things you have is, is capital, obviously, to start the business. And uh, I was working for a company called Oak Street Mortgage, oh. who decided uh, to pony up and give me two and a half million dollars to start this business. So um, really just a wonderful group of individuals, great management team that was heavy into mortgage. And, you know, that was back in 2003, you know, as you mentioned, and uh, had the insight at that point in time to say, you know what, we don't really like what we see in the mortgage industry. And we want to diversify away from mortgage so that we have a long-term sustainable business. 
and uh, they gave me two and a half million dollars. Oak Street funding. Pretty quickly, you use Oak Street funding, and that's you know yeah. sure whatever you want works. Nice. So how how did you go about finding your first client to lend to? You know, he was uh, uh, a dear friend, and he was in the insurance space in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had known him from from the VC world and doing some different things and uh, just the kind of guy that you trust. And um, I called him up one day and he said, you know what? I was asking him questions and and trying to gain some industry knowledge. He said, just use me. Give me a $50,000 loan and I'll be your guinea pig and let's go through the process. And so... um, you know, I underwrote the loan, looked at the legal docs, uh, you know, negotiated them with them, charged them 18% interest rate. I mean, <laughs> that's what you do for a favor, right? Yeah. But that's kind of what our model was at the time. So I was trying to prove out and see if the model made sense. We don't lend at 18% anymore. <laughs> but um, it was, I'll never forget that. And um He's an individual that has just uh, been tremendously successful in a number of different industries. And uh, his latest endeavor is in uh, the spirits industry with the bourbon company. So, um, do you still lend to him? You know, what's interesting, we probably had four or five loans to him as he was growing and doing acquisitions. And I think because the spirits industry is so hot, Um, he decided to exit the insurance space, and uh, I'm going to venture a guess to say he enjoys selling bourbon more than he <laughs> does uh, long-term care insurance policies. Sounds like fun. Great individual. <laughs> wow. I mean, that must have felt amazing landing your first loan. So so how have things changed since that first loan? What, how did that affect your future loans? What, what, what changed? Um, you know, a lot of things, to be honest with you. Obviously, it's been almost 20 years now. What I would say is that we really had some defining moments for us in the history that, you know, not not much different than what people have in life. Um, we went through the mortgage company, obviously, when the mortgage crisis hit in 2000 and, you know, five, six and seven. So the capital that was coming from the mortgage industry ceased. You got to figure it out. Um, you know, then you've got the, uh, the recession that hit, uh, we sold in 2007, we sold again in 2010. Um, and you know, during each one of those times, you, you really just have to take a step back and reassess your business model and where it's going. And it, um, you know, I, I really, I really subscribe to what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And the fact that, we had to survive um, a number of different things that uh, there's no doubt, you know, it made us better. It made us understand technology better, make sure that our models, you know, you pause in the business, make sure your models are accurate, your financials, your controls. So we really had different times that we were almost required to pause and rethink the business model. So you're constantly revising it. It sounds like you really made the most of the growing pains of a yeah. business. Great. Yeah, yeah. How did you get other people to invest in your idea? Um, you know, we were fortunate after the the first investors from Oak Street Mortgage um, with validating and, and what I would consider, you know, de-risking the business. Mm-hmm. You might identify 
you know, five or six different, you know, macro things that you look at in the business You say, you know, is the addressable market big enough? Can you sell it? Um, you know, sell the products. Um, does the technology work? You know, all these types of things got to play out. So um, after that first one, uh, we were forced to go out and raise some capital. And it turned out a uh, one of our customers who was borrowing money from us uh, had a PhD from Stanford and uh, he was an actuary himself. And he said, you know what, I'm in. Nice. And that was the second round. And then, you know, during 07, when we sold, we had nine offers for the business. Wow. And then uh, we sold pretty quickly to this group out of Chicago that uh, six months into that deal, uh, their funds dried up, you know, which you, you pick up from reading the paper versus getting a call saying, hey, this is going on and you got to adjust again. And, uh, you know, 2010, when Angelo Gordon bought us, uh, which is a $25 billion PE fund out of Chicago, out of uh, New York City, it was really the first time we had consistent capital for the business. Mm -hmm. They were wonderful investors, provided a lot of insight and, um, and leadership for us, but they were very supportive of the management team. And um, that was the first time. So from 2010 to 2015, just knowing that you had the capital there, yeah. that you weren't stressed about that, you know, because when you're a finance company, capital is everything. You borrow and you relend. So if you don't have that capital, like you're out of inventory. So you really don't have a business anymore, but um, very supportive and uh, the business did very well. You know, I think we grew the portfolio from, I don't know, I'm going to guess like 30 or 40 million to almost 400 million. Wow. And so it was a classic PE play. And at the end of five years, uh, we put the company up for sale and had 21 offers and uh, landed with First Financial Bank. Great. So you started out with uh, one employee <laughs> and now you're at, me. Yes. And now you're at almost 400. Yeah. So can you, can you tell us about how, how you hire folks? What is your hiring process? How do you build a team? How, what kind of advice would you have for that? Yeah. So Oak street, you know, was one employee uh, type situation today. We're about uh, 85 or 90. Um, and then with the roles and responsibilities of the bank, it's me to, 300 plus, 400, whatever. Um, being in public accounting taught me a couple of things about uh, employees and leadership. And it's, it's really that, you know, to me, human capital is the most important asset you have. Um, and we saw where our business in public accounting went from like the worst ranked office in the country and the profitability was low to we became the best ranked uh, office in the country and one of the most profitable. Wow. And that's not a, you know, a correlation that's any different than the people that were driving the business. So when you start something, you, you're pretty particular about, you know, when it's one person and then you're adding a second, well, that's 50% of the workforce. That's going to have a huge influence. Yeah. So you're very particular about who you're adding. And there's different ways to, I think, start businesses. Uh, for example, Oak Street Mortgage started with their sweet seat, seat level of people first and kind of hired down. Where as Oak Street started with, you know, me, you know, at the bottom, and we kind of work our way up to, you know, the management team that we have now and the 85, 90 people. 
And it, it, you know, I think both can, both can be successful, but understanding and placing the importance on human capital, um, I think is, is the key thing for setting culture. And even when we had 10 or 12 people, we had leadership consultants in here mm. to kind of help our people go grow, show them that we care. You know, we wanted their growth because if we're getting them to grow, then the business is going to grow. And it, and it really played out well. Well, that actually leads me into my next question because, I mean, you've had some of these employees since the very beginning. You said 11 or 12, the first 11 or 12. Yeah. And so many small businesses right now are dealing with employee retention. And so what kind of advice would you have for, for, for small business owners that are struggling to retain their employees? You know, I would say today is certainly um, uncharted, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak. Um, and there's certainly a lot that has to be learned. So, you know, what maybe was applied back in 2003 really isn't applicable to, you know, today. But I still think it goes back to you know, finding the right people, investing in them, you know, having relationships with them, you know, that you understand. And it almost becomes a family type culture that people become ingrained and more passionate about the business Mm -hmm. and what they're doing on a day to day basis. You know, those things are going to be important, I think, whether there's, you know, the work from home or not. So um, we just announced this past week as we've been tracking and following the pandemic and different types of environments, uh, just changed to a, a, a work situation where there's three days in the office and two days at, uh, where they work at home. And I think it's, it's so important to people, you know, younger and old, that they can be together and collaborate. If you think about the best way to learn, you know, it's ironic sometimes when I hear that parents are pushing, pushing, pushing for their children to be back in school so that they can learn, be with other kids and socialize and they get the best learning, but yet they want to work at home. And you kind of go, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think there's a lot that applies to that. So, you know, we found this, what we think is a a great combination, a great hybrid where we can still be collaborative and work together and make sure we're focusing on the customer, you know, educating each other, getting better, improving our process. Mm -hmm. But it also gives people an opportunity to work at home and, you know, get that work-life balance, which, you know, is another thing that we talk about here. I mean, that your family life is more important than work. And we say that all the time here. I mean, there's not a person here whose family isn't more important than this job. There's not a lot of company owners that would say that. That's Mm -hmm. great. That's wonderful. I imagine your employees really appreciate that. Um, So moving on, in 2003 to 2005, these were really formative years for you um, and Oak Street funding. But then, of course, we were just talking about the Great Recession happening um, when when Oak Street funding was still quite young. So how did you, how did you handle the disruption? I will tell you that was probably the most stressful time in the organization. (laughs) And there was, and, um, you know, like I said, we're borrowing. So we're, you know, we're a lender now, right? And we've always been a lender, but we were also a borrower. And we had a $250 million line of credit with a bank out of New York that was a co-op of German community banks. And they saw it was going on the mortgage business and they said, we're shutting down. So we had this five-year agreement 
you know, thank heavens that it was a five-year agreement. But I received a letter that said, hey, we're shutting down. We're out of business. That's scary. (laughs) And um, about three weeks later, later, we got a letter that said, well, we're kind of rethinking that. And I think they started identifying some legal issues that they were going to have. And uh, but we knew that if we defaulted in any way, shape or form on that credit agreement and the money that we had borrowed, they were going to cut us off. So every Friday, uh, our head of customer service, Kathy Yeary and uh, Dave Christman, who's our CIO, both still with us today, we would meet every Friday afternoon and go through the entire portfolio and say, are we in compliance? What things do we need to be moving around? And we had about two or $300,000 of excess capital. So if one customer that had borrowed $500,000 from us filed a bankruptcy that we were getting every week, we would have been completely out of business. So it was, you know, what have you heard about these customers and who's doing well and who's not? And, you know, legally doing, you know, everything the right way. But we were also trying to make sure that we weren't going to be in default of this agreement, because if we were, we were done and nobody was going to lend anybody money, you know, to those levels. So again, uh, Bridget, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger (laughs) and you learn from it and, um, you know, you move on. But I think that's why this organization is so resilient to change and was so uh, successful, you know, during the recessions and certainly during the uh, pandemic. And during the recession, that's about the time that you were really looking to expand yeah. too. So, so what steps did you have to take to, to get to that next level? Uh, you know, again, it goes back to the capital, making sure. So what do you do? You go out and you diversify. And we found, you know, another national bank that gave us 125 million. We got a wonderful bunch of, uh, local banks here, you know, I'll call them regional banks. And we put together facilities there so that we had these different buckets to be able to place assets in Mm -hmm. so that if one went bad, you know, we were able to survive. So, you know, that's an example of you learn from it. Um, You know, a bank will come to you and say, hey, I got there's too much concentration there. And for us, we are with one bank and it was like, all right, there's too much concentration with you. We got to split this up. And that's what we did. Okay. And when did you when did you begin lending to financial advisors and CPAs? 2010 to 2015, while we were under the Angelo Gordon ownership and, uh, you know, as a sponsor to us, we had identified a couple of different areas for growth. And uh, we'd done our research. We developed the actuarial models. And Angelo Gordon is like we were having such growth in the insurance space. Mm -hmm. That Angelo Gordon was like, stay focused. It might dilute the story. It might take you take away some profitability. So let's stay focused on the insurance space. And um, but sure enough, when we put together and went through the sale process in 2015, the next buyer, either a PE sponsor or a strategic like a bank, wants to understand those upsides. Mm-hmm. And so we had laid out in the book, hey, this is our insurance business and here's our growth trajectory, but here's some other industries that we can do the exact same thing in. So um, First Financial Bank, uh, led by Claude Davis at the time when we sold, clearly understood it. And uh, so pretty much as soon as the bank sold or the bank bought us, um, it was 
the green lights on, let's execute, you know, build that business the same way we build Oak Street. And, uh, you know, and, and since then, we've added subprime auto finance, CPA firms, uh, energy lending, you know, we're constantly looking to add, you know, one a year or something like that in new industries. Not typical commodity type, CNI type lending, but more specialty asset classes and things like that. Before we go, I had two more questions. Who was your mentor and what was a key piece of advice that you that you keep with you from your mentor? You know, I, I, I'm 100% honest. I am very fortunate to have a number of mentors. I mean, I can think to uh, my college swim coach, Doc Councilman at IU, mm-hmm. to you know, CFOs and CEOs that I'd met while being in public accounting. But, you know, my mentor is my father, to be honest with you, you know. The ultimate mentor. Yeah, somebody who, you know, put himself through college, you know, had the, had an unbelievable work ethic. Mm -hmm. And um, and, in some, I didn't really realize when I was growing up, but I mean, he was an entrepreneur as well. And being an accountant, it's like, well, he's an accountant, you know, and I ended up being an accounting major. But when I went back, and I got out of college and I understood his career, you know, he started a CPA firm and sold it, you know, went to a manufacturing firm and sold it, started another firm and sold it. And I didn't really put that together even when I was starting the business. Well, I have one last question. What advice would you give to your younger self? What would you tell young Rick Denon? Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. But I would say probably most is make sure you understand your strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. and don't think that you need to be the best at everything you do. Good and advice. you can, you know, you can hire those skill sets that you're not so good at and let people, you know, give them the confidence and give them the autonomy to go and run it and grow. And I think it creates a little more passion um and a little more care for you know and engagement you know really with what people are trying to do yeah so good advice thanks thank you rick thanks for being here thank Thank you you bridget taking your time thank you all for listening to on point a podcast by oak street funding where we bring research and data-backed insights to dig into the minds of industry leaders to learn how to stand out navigate and break through this ever-changing industry. I'm Bridget Height, and tune in next time wherever you listen to podcasts to hear Jane Saxon with Somerset CPA and Advisors. She will discuss setting up a tax-efficient business structure, and we'll see you then as we get on point. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review.